You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. The Great Pyramid of Cheops, or Khufu as it's also known, it's near Cairo in Egypt. And it's really one of those sort of fascinating places that's captivated people's imaginations. Right back to the early 1800s when a famed British Egyptologist by the name of Howard Vise was using gunpowder to get access to these pyramids. <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, it's done in a very non-invasive way if they mm-hmm. want to investigate what's going on. And they're trying to understand the way that these buildings were constructed Lots of four, four and yeah. a half thousand years ago. Yeah. You know, there's theories about using barges and rivers and to move the, the big building blocks that were being transported to the site uh, and also you know, lever systems to get these enormous hefty blocks mm-hmm. into position. So there's lots of theories about that. But one thing they're doing at the moment is they're using three different types of muon technologies, and I'll tell you in a moment what that is, to peer into, to kind of x-ray the pyramids and try to understand the way the construction process Mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. One thing they've found is a large void. It appears to be a giant void within the uh, Pyramid of Cheops. Uh, It's not known why the cavity exists or indeed if it holds anything of value because it's not obviously accessible. So they can't go inside this, Mm -hmm. but they're picking it up with with this uh, muon technology. Now, muography, as it's known, uses a shower of high-energy particles that rain down on the Earth's surface from space. When superfast cosmic rays collide with air molecules, they produce a range of daughter particles, including muons. They also move close to the speed of light and only weakly interact with matter. So when they reach the surface, they penetrate deeply into rock. Some of the particles will be absorbed and deflected by the atoms in the rock's minerals, and if the muon detectors are placed under a region of interest, then a picture of density anomalies can be obtained. Yeah, right. So it's using a natural phenomenon of, of radiation from space. Mm-hmm. So what they've done in the Pyramid of Cheops, there's a thing called the gallery, which is a, a tunnel inside that, that's been exposed that they know about. So mm-hmm. if you go, I think you can actually go in there as a, as a tourist. You, right. can, yep. you can pay and, and go inside this. It's four and a half thousand years old, and there's this big area, and I'm presuming that inside that that's where they've set up their muon receivers mm-hmm. and waiting for the, the shower to come, come down, down the shower yeah. comes down penetrates through the rock and then gives them a bit of a picture about what is looking like a large cavity yeah, right. above what's known as a gallery uh, which is a passageway inside the pyramid of cheops it's uh, perhaps 30 meters long and several meters in height they're not sure exactly of the dimensions of it. They're not sure, for example, whether it's flat inside or whether it's on an angle. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really give any definition, did it? it no, just, it, was so just it doesn't kind of show the... if there's anything inside this chamber. Yeah. They're pretty certain that there is a void there. One explanation that's been proposed is that the builders, when there's, there was a room or a chamber, they wanted to try to limit the amount of weight on the roof of that chamber so you didn't get collapses. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they actually deliberately designed some voids in uh, above certain mm-hmm. chambers. And these are ones that have been explored. Less material to cut and move across. Less weight. So it's possible that this new chamber in Cheops is a sort of a construction void that's been left there to reduce weight. Mm -hmm. But it's also possible that it may be another chamber that they don't know about yet. And so that's that's the thing that's sparking people's imagination. So crack out the dynamite, is that what they're doing? Well, (laughs) I don't think so. I think that they're uh, a little bit averse to using dynamite these days to to penetrate the pyramids. This technology, it's actually being used over in Japan to look at things like volcanoes and glaciers mm-hmm. like in, in Japan lots of, uh, of volcanic uh, activity over there and so the ability to set up these receivers and then wait for the radiation to come down from space and, and get an idea of structures not, mm-hmm. not necessarily very detailed but it, it can help them predict 
if there's going to be an earthquake mm-hmm. or if there's going to be an eruption. Just due to the amount of solid mass or even liquid magma, for yeah, example, and underneath. It can, and yeah. you can penetrate rocks uh, to quite significant depth. So mm-hmm. that's a, that's an advantage of it. They've also used it to investigate the failed nuclear reactors at Fukushima as well. Yeah, right. So that technology has had a few different applications over the years. The question is how they're going to investigate this void further. They're not going to drill. They might be able to drill a very small hole to potentially explore this space. And they actually have a robot that could fit through a three-centimetre hole mm-hmm. and do this for them. So they're yeah. trying to be as as, uh, as gentle and non-invasive as possible. But kind of exciting there, that large void detected its contents and purpose unknown mm. at the moment. Moving on with the news, the dinosaurs, it turns out, were very unlucky to get wiped out by that enormous asteroid impact in the Yucatan Peninsula about 70 million years ago. It blasted an impact crater near the town of Chicxulub, which is 180 kilometres wide and 20 kilometres deep. And what happened was a very large amount of material was blasted up out of the what is now called the Yucatan Peninsula, went up into the atmosphere and created kind of a, a, a winter... It, like it, a it, dust cloud or something, Yeah, isn't it? big, yeah. big, very heavy blanket of material up in the atmosphere that was circulated right around the planet, blotted out the sun, dropped temperatures and created droughts. Mm-hmm. So that's what they believe wiped out the dinosaurs. Now, they actually reckon, because they've been studying the material, and this has been reported in the Journal of Scientific Reports, two researchers from the Tohoku University in Japan, they've described calculations that suggest only 13% of the Earth's surface harboured rich enough hydrocarbon deposits to cause a mass extinction in the event such as this devastating impact. So they reckon that basically the dinosaurs were really unlucky. 87% of the Earth's surface that you could have hit mm-hmm. and not wiped out the dinosaurs yeah. Like completely. the middle of the Pacific Ocean if it hit right in there. Yeah, that that's right. Different. I mean, there would have been still some very big disruption. They're not saying it wouldn't have been yeah. you know, catastrophic, but it wouldn't have had that global amount of material of a type this concentration of hydrocarbons that was so high that the soot and sulfate aerosols sent into the sky caused global cooling and drought. You wouldn't have necessarily had that situation. Apparently the other thing was the timing that wasn't great for the dinosaurs. Uh, At that particular stage of their evolution, they weren't particularly diversified. So Mm -hmm. they reckon if that had happened a little bit later, there would have been more species diversification and therefore more resilience and more chance of actually surviving adverse climate change. The devastation wrought by that asteroid impact drove 75 percent of all land and sea animals to extinction Mm. moving on apple is taking its coding course international it's been doing it over in the states for a while now after a pretty good response there they're extending it to other parts of the world these include australia it's going to be operated by rmit here in melbourne from its melbourne campus and also available online other partners that are joining include the Merkentech in Denmark, Hoges School, Von Arnhem in the Netherlands, Unitech Institute of Technology in New Zealand and Plymouth University in the UK are all joining this program to learn coding. Uh, now this is for iOS and according to Apple, iOS developers alone have earned $70 billion in the last decade. So that's just for the Apple App Store. Obviously there's mm-hmm. the Google Play Store, mm-hmm. which is a whole different and bigger ecosystem as well. Lots of money to be made from coding it sounds like people are embracing this so if you want to perhaps try to future proof your career yes. this might be something that you consider doing you can as i said you can do it online or a one year campus-based course at RMIT in Melbourne. According to Tim Cook, Apple CEO, he said, we launched the Everyone Can Code initiative less than a year ago with the ambitious goal of offering instruction in coding to as many people as possible. Our program has been incredibly popular among US schools and colleges and today marks an important step forward as we expand internationally. 
So good news there if you're looking to get into coding. Until AI takes over the coding and can self-replicate. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then we then we reach the singularity. We do. Yes. Ray Kurtz files singularity. You can go to our website beyondinfinity.com.au if you want to find out more about that book and a podcast that we did on it. Now, just finally, from me before I hand over to John, and this could only happen in Japan, if you go there and, and you happen to be in a, a noodle bar and you're, you're, you've got a lot of Japanese sitting around you and they're having their ramens, mm-hmm. they will, you'll often hear like really loud slurping. Like, <laughs> yeah. as they, as which they, we would consider quite rude here. Yeah. Which, yeah, so it's a cultural thing. Over there, I think they just, they're just used to it. They mm-hmm. eat so many noodles, it's just like a sign that someone's enjoying their meal. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's just a sound that has to happen because that's what happens when you eat noodles and you're in a hurry and you're in Japan. To allow for the possible cultural offense that a non-Japanese person might feel, a company over there has invented a thing called the Otohiko fork. And this is a smart fork that has a microphone. It detects when you're using this fork and you're making a slurping noise, and it actually turns on a little app on your smartphone, and that plays a cover noise yeah. to conceal the noise of you slurping your your uh, your noodles. So it's like a, like a noise cancellation type kind system. Of. It's, a, it's a cover noise. Yeah. It doesn't actually cancel it. Yeah. It just kind of covers it with another noise. Yes. But the other noise is not as offensive as the slurping of noodles. Yeah. Anyway, it's going to cost a mere 170 Australian dollars or about 130 US and it's being developed on a crowdfunding basis. So 5,000 suckers or backers will have to be found by December the 15th this year, 2017, for the device to go into production. The fork is only going to be sold in Japan at this stage where it's expected to ship in the early part of 2018. So there you go. If, you want to, if you're concerned about the noise that your slurping makes, you might want to get one. You might, might have that same problem in Australia. Think, Who knows? I think you should experience the culture when you go to another country. So why be worried about the slurping noise? Well, I think part of the yeah. culture of Japan is they even bother building a fork like no, no. that. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, John, what have you got? Uh, we've talked about smart cities before on the show, and uh, there is one that's uh, been created in Songdo, South Korea, and this is a $35 billion district. Hmm. Basically, it's part of reclaimed land, so they're actually building out on the, the, the water. So this is just southwest of Ichion, and uh, it's about 1,500 acres. So it's not you know it's not huge, um, but it's big enough for a city, I guess. And But it's about prioritizing uh, mass transit like buses and subways and bikes instead of road traffic so it's really trying to you know take the cars out of it it's expected to be completed in um, uh, 2020 the district will span to apparently 100 million square feet it's about how we build cities in the future that can be more green and more efficient you know you You've been stuck in traffic jams before, so how do you improve that? Well, you build a smart city, something like this. Fantastic. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. Mm-hmm. Now, users of Logitech products may be upset if they have a Harmony Link. Now, this is a little device which you can use an app on your phone to connect to this little disc-type shape, and then that connects into your TV and stereo system and, and other sort of approved products. It's just basically having a universal remote control that connects through your app and through this little device. Right. And Logitech kind of annoyed their customer base recently by basically announcing that as of March 2018, the Harmony Link will no longer work. It's an end of service and end of life product. Okay. They're basically just saying, nope, that's it. It's done. There was some concern that they put forward. They didn't want to renew the license because it would need significant security upgrades. I mean, with you know, we hear about hacking scandals all the time. So it would require certain things to happen. And they've actually got another product line that they're bringing out. And so 
sort of a replacement for this, mm. which is the Harmony Hub. So there's the Harmony Link and Harmony Hub. But this has kind of left the users of the, the link quite upset and saying, well, hang on, I've just bought this product. You know, this is this is crazy. Why should I need to change? Mm. Now, the company has come out, Logitech have come out and said they'll basically allow for a free changeover if you're sort of still within a, in a warranty period. Mm. Uh, however, if you've got an older one, then you'll get a 35% discount off the, the Harmony oh, Hub. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. Kind. So look, if you're if you're an owner of one of these Logitech products, you know, check the model that you've got and maybe have a look into this because as of March 2018, you may not be able to use it properly. Hmm. Now, uh, Bitcoin, we mentioned at the start of the show when talking about the price, there's forks that happen. This is because you have the original piece of code, which is the standard Bitcoin, which we talk about every week in, in terms of the pricing. Then you have code that is modified by some users and that's what's known as the fork they want to deviate from the regular path and then they'll create what's essentially sort of a new version of bitcoin now we've covered it in the in the past we had a couple months back we had bitcoin cash that seems to be going quite well at the moment and there was another one which is called segwit 2x and it's just terminology and a name for the different technology that they're trying to adopt in it in some cases they want to increase the block size speed up transactions that's exactly what it means mm -hmm. so so at the moment one of the problems with bitcoin is the, the standard bitcoin that we talk about is that it can take a long time to verify a transaction right so if i sent money to you just as a you know regular service you've helped me online and i'm sending money across countries you know sending it to you that might take 10 to 15 minutes to verify and you have to pay a fee for that verification as well so this is how the miners and you know sort of make money um, along that system but this doesn't work well if if Bitcoin is to become um, bigger and more adopted globally, particularly, for example, you want to buy a coffee, you can't walk in and order your coffee and then the transaction is still trying to process halfway through your coffee. So this is where some of these deviations are looked to to in help with faster transactions. And this is where Sigwit uh, 2X, I guess, was part of it. It's been sort of in development for a few months. Uh, however, uh, as of uh, Wednesday, November 8th, an official release came out from the sort of the group that's behind it. There's about six, uh, seven people, you know, big names behind it. And they basically said that uh, we ba began in May with a simple purpose to, to increase the block size to improve Bitcoin stability. And at the time, the Bitcoin community was in crisis after nearly three years of heavy debate. Basically goes on to say that they want to help Bitcoin, but they're not sure that what they're doing at the moment is going to help or hurt it. And therefore, it's essentially an indefinite cancel of this system change. That means no difference to the regular Bitcoin. You know, what was happening was money was being moved around in between the two. We did see a huge bull market uh, recently with uh, regular Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. But then people may be holding off in where they were going to spend their money waiting to see what happened here. When this cancellation was announced, we did notice a drop in regular Bitcoin. This could have scared people that don't understand the different forks and what's going on. So they decided to sell out and therefore the price has dropped. As we spoke about before, it is sort of on the little bit of the rebound. I actually do think it's a little bit overvalued at this point in time. I think that there will be some more drops in the, in the coming week and I will certainly be looking to buy. I don't, I don't think we're talking a huge, huge drop. It might be maybe another 5 to 10%, but that would be enough for me to you know, want to buy back in. Right. We're have stories i think over the next 12 months even over the next few years there will be stories about forks the bitcoin fork 
I think the original Bitcoin will continue on. We'll just have little forks and chains happening and we'll just see what happens uh, there. Mm -hmm. And just finally from me, we've reported earlier this year that Samsung were looking to incorporate an in-display fingerprint scanner in the Galaxy S9. So Mm -hmm. this would be rather than the button, you would have a fingerprint printer scanner anywhere on the face of the, the, the phone. Unfortunately, they have decided to abandon that plan at this stage. It doesn't mean they're abandoning it completely. It might come up in a future version. But the problem they've cited is essentially that with the reducing bezel sizes, so this is the edge around your display, mm. there's less space for a sensor. And some of their, well, their, their new lines, essentially, have got that rounded off edge as well. So again, even less space. You know, they haven't gone down that path of removing the headphone jack yet, but if unfortunately they do, again, it's thinner and smaller devices. And you do need sensors, particularly if it's a full screen sensor, you do need space for these sensors. And at this stage, what they're suggesting is they don't have that space. I also think it's probably very difficult to achieve and it's something that they will look to incorporate in, in a few years' time. I know Apple has got that face technology, which they've completely abandoned. That's right, well, the new one, altogether. the X, the, yeah. the iPhone X doesn't have a, a home button, which uh, some people are saying they miss. They'd rather have a home button. Mm. So, uh, yeah, different solutions. But I think one of the rumours anyway was that Apple looked at trying to, to uh, have a fingerprint scanner underneath that OLED screen mm-hmm. and they just couldn't do it. Yep. So it sounds like Samsung's had a similar a issue. Similar experience, yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows.